Welcome to the Ranking Things Podcast, the production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com for information about voiceover services for commercials, internet and corporate videos, e-learning, phone messages, and more. I'm Jason Davis. And I'm Eric Wright. Each episode, we'll choose a topic and rank our favorites. Share your thoughts via email, rankingpodcast at yahoo.com. Eric, we're going to talk about uh, one of our favorite subjects. Well, it's two of my favorite subjects. It's women and rock and roll. Yeah, women who rock on this episode. Women who rock. I'm going to make a prediction that while you and I will probably have fairly different lists, I think we're going to probably agree with each other. You know, probably. I think it's going to be a bit of just more of our personal tastes are going to uh, exactly. Drive this. What do you got for number five? All right, so number five, uh, Lizzie Hale. Okay. To me, like she's rock. She is a great representative of the the new female rockers that are out there. She's a great singer. She's an excellent guitarist. She's got a great look. And I think she's also just got a great rock and roll attitude that you hear in her songs. One of my favorite songs of hers is uh, I Get Off. And the lyrics is basically, I get off on you, getting off on me. It's like, Whoa, yes, please. Thank you. That is, <laughs> that's rock. You know, that is rock and roll. So she, uh, she kind of, like I said, represents the ladies of the 2000s. For years, men have dominated crotch rock. So why not? If men can talk about their sexual prowess in a song, why can't a woman, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about fairly similar women. And I think uh, the sex appeal is going to be a big part of it. Oh, absolutely. Especially if they're women that you grew up listening to, which is oh, yeah. uh, you know what we're going to get into a little bit. Admittedly, yep. I don't know that much about Hailstorm. I, I haven't really mm-hmm. heard a lot of their stuff. Okay. So it's hard for me to really comment on Lizzie Hale other than knowing of her. Well, Ben introduced me to her, and it opened my eyes to uh, a fair amount of others. What's your five? So number five for me is a little bit of a throwback in the sense that she's somebody that I was definitely into in my teenage years. Okay. Uh, Lita Ford, number five for me. Yes. Yep. No surprise. I grew up knowing her more as a solo artist in the beginning. You know, I wasn't really aware of the Runaways stuff back then. Uh, I've mm-hmm. become more aware of them now. I'm not a huge Runaways fan, but they have a couple of good songs. But Lita Ford mm-hmm. is definitely the real deal. I know that she actually did not have a second guitar player in her solo band early on because she wanted people to understand very clearly that she was playing all the lead guitar and stuff. So she was born in London and she moved to California in the second grade. And Richie Blackmore, his work with Deep Purple was what made her pick up a guitar when she was 11. Okay. She became one of the founding members of The Runaways with Joan Jett in 1975 when she was 16. Her debut solo album was released in 1983. 1988 was her most commercially successful album, titled Lita. The album had several singles. The biggest one, of course, was Close My Eyes Forever, which was a duet she did with Ozzy Osbourne. It was actually a top 10 hit. It was her most successful song. Mm-hmm. It reached number eight on the Hot 100. The yeah. other singles were Back to the Cave and, of course, Kiss Me Deadly was another big song for her. Not as big of a chart hit, but a big MTV hit for her. Yeah, and she looks great, too. Oh, yeah. She took a bunch of time off to raise her sons. Oh, okay. Um, and then, So she's got her priorities straight, too. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the cool thing is she, she came out with an album a couple of years ago called Time Capsule, and it's a, a bunch of songs that she recorded in the 80s with a lot of famous and awesome musicians. Billy Sheehan, Gene Simmons, Bruce Kulick, Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, Dave Navarro, Jeff Scott Soto. And yeah. Lita is still uh, out there playing for the people. I'm sure you know a lot of the current female rockers out there you know, look to... Uh, Lita as some inspiration. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, she was definitely uh, one of the trailblazers for sure. 
Yeah. All, All right. right. Cool who, choice. Who do you have for number four? This is going to raise an eyebrow, probably. Courtney Love. You All know? Right. I see you didn't spit your drink out. No, so. no. Listen, Courtney Love, whatever her shortcomings are and, and however fucked up she may be or whatever. <laughs> and and believe me, she is quite fucked up most she of the time. Is, yes. Uh, she definitely rocks. No question. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, everything about her. You know, she's like the godmother of grunge. Yeah. You know? She had this lifestyle. One of the things I always think of when I think of Courtney is... Sometime in like the mid 90s, I don't know what I was watching. They were interviewing Madonna at some live music festival and they were on like a balcony of a hotel. <laughs> I and, remember you know, Madonna, this. Huh? I remember Did this. Did you see this? Yeah. And, you know, Madonna's looking all primp and perfect and all that. And she's speaking like the Queen of England, because I think this is when she was going through her Avita stage or something. Right. Her fake uh, and, English accent. Yeah. And down on the uh, off the street, you hear some yelling. So the cameraman looks over and they're like, hey, it's Courtney Love. And, you know, she's on the street stumbling with some other people. <laughs> and the interviewer's like, hey, Madonna, why don't we get Courtney up here? And Madonna's like, oh, really? Should we do that? Should we do that? And they're like, Courtney, come on up. Well, she gets up there and she's like, you know, drunk and stumbling. She's wearing this uh, mini skirt that's way too short. She's got this huge black and blue mark on her hip. And she's like dropping the F-bomb all over the place. She's looking like who did it and ran, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's rock and roll. Totally. It totally is. <laughs> Maybe to an extreme. Yeah, I remember her going, oh, it was. this was right around the time of Alanis Morissette's uh, debut album. Oh, right. And yeah. Alanis Morissette was signed to Maverick Records, which was Madonna's label. And I remember okay. Courtney Love was like, oh, Alanis Morissette, good signing at Madonna. You know, she was like... <laughs> 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 And I'm not a humongous whole fan. Right, me uh, either. I know some of the stuff I've heard on the radio. And I did have the second album, uh, you know, Live Through This, mm -hmm. which actually is on Rolling Stone's 500 Best Albums Ever list. Wow. So she's definitely got some actual credits to her name. Um, she's got multi-platinum sales. So you may think that, you know, she doesn't deserve to be in a top five of rock and roll, but... No, man, I think she really does. And again, I think she's someone that is influential to a lot of the new rockers now. So she's my four. Good choice. Yeah, Courtney Love is definitely rock and roll. No question about it. <laughs> All right. All right. How about you? Well, number four for me is Lita Ford's bandmate in The Runaways, Joan oh, Jett. Joan Jett, sure. Okay. Yeah, listen, again, you know, not only a trailblazer with The Runaways, a lot of people criticize Joan Jett because a lot of her hits are uh, covers. Yeah. But, you know, if you really break it down, I Love Rock and Roll is a cover, but like nobody really knows that as anything but a Joan Jett song in the oh. mainstream. You know, I mean, obviously... Real music aficionados know of the Arrows version, and that's, you know, she heard it, you know, when she was touring right. in the UK, and that's what made her want to cover it and stuff. Like Crimson and Clover. Crimson and Clover. And that's the thing. Like, even the she songs. She does it much better, I think. Well, the cool thing about her covers is that she put her spin on them, and she kind of made people aware of these songs that maybe wouldn't have been, at least yeah. not until later on in life. Like, you know, what teenager, when Joan Jett released her cover of Crimson and Clover, would have went back and looked for Tommy James and the Shondells, you know? <laughs> right. You know? So she obviously has some real good roots in rock and roll. Yeah. Joan got her first guitar when she was 14. So she okay. started out young like Lita. Her family was originally from Rockville, Maryland. They moved to Los Angeles. And shortly after they moved, her parents got divorced. Joan actually legally changed her last name from Larkin, her father's name, to Jet, her mother's maiden name. Who knew? Oh, really? 
Yeah, I mean, I had no idea. I figured it was just yeah. the stage name because Joan Jett, because yeah. she had kind of the jet black hair and stuff. Right, right. And I thought it was a play on that, but no, it's an actual real name. <laughs> Go figure. That's a pretty cool last name. Yeah, but the only th- bad thing about that is her real name is a security question. You know how they say, what's your mother's <laughs> maiden name for a security <laughs> <Yeah>. question? <laughs> hmm. hmm. Well, but it's two T's, right? Yeah, so. So it makes it a little different. I don't know. All right, whatever. <laughs> I like that choice. I like uh, Joan Jett. She exudes this rock and roll attitude. So, yeah. yeah, I'm definitely on board with that selection. I talked about I Love Rock and Roll. Of course, that's her biggest hit. Uh, it was a number mm-hmm. one for seven weeks in 1982. So the interesting thing is her debut solo album was rejected by 23 major labels. What? Yeah. I mean, you hear about stuff like that all the time with movies and, and, and even other musical acts. But she and her songwriting partner and producer, uh, Kenny Laguna, decided mm-hmm. to put it out independently on Blackheart Records, the label that they formed. Right. They actually started the label with uh, Laguna's daughter's college savings. Holy crap. Yeah, talk about, again, another story of taking a gamble on yourself, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So Put eventually, in it. yeah, exactly. Eventually, the debut album got picked up by Neil Bogart for his new label, Boardwalk Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the album was renamed Bad Reputation. A little side note, Neil Bogart mm-hmm. was the guy who discovered and signed Kiss <laughs> on, on his, another label that he had fronted, uh, Casablanca Records. And he was also uh, responsible for signing mm-hmm. Donna Summer, The Village People, and some other disco acts. Right. Well, I have to hand it to you that even though we're talking about women of rock, I got Kiss got in there. Kiss in of there. course. So I, 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 I applaud you for that, sir. And I mentioned Kiss before in a way with uh, when I talked about Lita Ford, too, because she, right. she played <laughs> yeah, with Gene well, and, and Bruce Kulick from Kiss. I let that one pass. <laughs> yeah. In April 2014, Joan fronted the remaining members of Nirvana for uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit for their right. induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So that kind of ties into your choice for number four with Courtney Love. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Joan was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the next year in 2015. Nice. Joan Jett is definitely uh, the real deal. I saw her mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago and she was awesome. Yeah, she is. Who do you got for number three? Number three. Um, you might think this is a cop out because it's actually two women. Okay. It's Hart. Okay. And Nancy Wilson. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. Um, I know it's probably not fair to take two and meld them into one, but I think when you hear women of rock, heart has to come up. Of course. They just have to. They had that decent rockin' edge to them with like, you know, Barracuda crazy on you. Again, we got some sexuality going. It's like, <laughs> can I go crazy on you? Yes, please. So... <laughs> And then they changed, you know, they morphed a bit into the 80s with, you know, that whole heart album that came out where they had the spike your hair and they're Mm -hmm. doing the stuff like alone. Still, holy crap. I mean, Anne's pipes are just friggin amazing. You see Nancy, she's up there playing the guitar with that sidekick she does. Mm -hmm. I saw them in concert and was just absolutely blown away. I think just the longevity and their talent just speaks for it that they have to be in a top five list. Absolutely. And they were, again, very much trailblazers. You know, back in the early 70s when they formed Heart, they were the kind of uh, two women that were uh, sort of alone, no pun intended, in the boys club. You know, I mean, there weren't mm-hmm. a lot of female rockers that were making that much noise, you know. I no, mean, you know, there was, I remember, obviously there was Janis Joplin and there were others, but but I right. think they were they were two of the first that really kind of had a harder edge to their sound at times. Oh yeah. yeah, and I remember just as a young teen when I heard I heard older people talking about them as, "Oh yeah, they're like, you know, the female Led Zeppelin and all this stuff." And it's like, "Well, shoot, man, if you're being compared to Led Zeppelin in a good way, you know you got something." 
and just the way they were able to kind of morph with the times, but still, even if you listen to like Bad Animals and, you know, the album Heart, mm -hmm. there's definitely some killer licks in there. There's still some good rocking stuff. It's not all just, you know, high pitched ballads. I think love ballads done in a rock and roll way is still rock and roll. I don't think rock and roll means you have to have you know, your no. head banging all the time. No, you could have a good power ballad, no doubt. Heart's very similar to Aerosmith and Van Halen and mm -hmm. even Kiss to some degree. <laughs> Watch how I'm going to make this. Uh, oh, work. my gosh. No, because go. I think, I think <laughs> when the you black have, hair. Okay. Well, all right. All the bands I just mentioned, longevity, mm -hmm. right? Sure. But... The other thing, too, is that they kind of had two different eras. Hart had the Barracuda, Magic Man, Crazy on You era. Yeah. And then they came back in the 80s with the bigger hair. And they had What About Love, Alone, Never, These Dreams, mm -hmm. all the, like a ton of hits. Yeah. But it was yeah. a, a much more polished sound and a very different thing. And I think Aerosmith had the same thing with their early days. And right. then, you know, their big arena rock kind of stuff from the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. Van Halen, you know, is a totally different band with David Lee Roth than they are with Sammy Hagar, but both right. great. And then again, mm -hmm. Kiss, their early stuff compared with the stuff they did without makeup in the 80s is very different. That's how I think a lot of bands survive yeah. because, you know, they kind of roll with the changes a little bit. I think it's cool that Hart kind of had two different careers. And, and I'm talking a lot about Hart. Because uh, they are also number three for me. They sold over 35 million records worldwide, had 20 top 40 singles, seven top 10 albums, and four Grammy nominations. Not and, too shabby. Yeah, and they achieved top 10 albums on the Billboard charts in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and 2010s with chart singles in each decade. Mm. And it's a span of over four decades, giving them the longest span of top 10 albums by a female-fronted band. Number two. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to Janis Joplin. The reason Good choice. I'm thinking about Janis Joplin is because you know, when she came out in uh, early mid '60s, she totally broke the mold of you know what women in rock and roll were doing. You know, there was a lot of the Motown stuff. There was a lot of you know the girl groups and mm -hmm. that kind of thing, but there wasn't a whole lot of a business power female lead singer, and she just had this crazy charisma that we talk about so much <laughs> yeah and um and just you know unfortunately i just know her stuff from recording she only had three albums while she was alive that she put out the fourth one pearl was like a compilation of stuff that she had recorded but they just put together you know right after she died i think so okay. um but anybody you read about that has opinions about music no matter what genre they are almost all of them will point to janice at some point yeah yeah you know? and it's just amazing you know the way she blended a lot of blues i mean she definitely had like blues and sort of i, I kind of want to say like you know a folk almost a hillbilly kind of thing and mm -hmm. you know she was kind of a flower child and all this but she just had that crazy voice man that if you watch any videos of her you just you just shiver you know, I mean, I watch videos of her. I get this just down my spine because yeah. when she hits those notes, she's got that gravelly voice. There's just no other singer like her. And I think she just broke all these barriers. I hand it to her. Yeah. I mean, it was almost like she was possessed when she performed, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You watch. She's like, you know, just yeah, kind of like, like wailing and all over the place. Yeah. A ton of power. Um, and, and the only reason I didn't have her in my top five, she's on my honorable mentions, is mm -hmm. because... um Although I like stuff that I've heard from her and stuff, it's just a different era for me, you know? Right. And with her, 
there's always the uh, what if, you yeah. know, like Jimi Hendrix, yep. what if, you know? Yeah, Janis Joplin is one of those uh, those talented artists that's in the group that have all died at, at the age of 27. It was like her, right. Jimmy, right. Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. maybe some others too, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty freaky. So, and also just people that count her as an influence. I mean, they're people like Florence Welsh from Florence and the Machine mm-hmm. to Stevie Nicks. I mean, mm-hmm. a very varied talent of people all kind of go back to Janice. So there's my two and your two is? Well, number two for me, this works out really wonderfully, is somebody who is uh, tremendously influenced by Janice Joplin. Melissa Etheridge is number two for okay. me. Okay. I'm surprised. Let me tell you uh, a story about Melissa Etheridge. Please do. Sometime in the late 80s, I want to say. Yeah, probably okay. late 80s. I was working with a group of people that we were all pretty friendly. And at some point, somebody said, hey, I have an extra ticket. We're going to see Little Feet. And opening is Melissa Etheridge. And I remember, you know, at that time, I was aware of Melissa Etheridge because they were playing one or two songs of hers on yeah. classic rock radio. And mm-hmm. I thought she was awesome. I thought I loved her voice because she's, again, yeah. with that real gravelly kind of powerhouse uh, vocals and stuff. Yeah. And I yeah. thought, well, you know, I, I'll go because I want to see Melissa Etheridge. I'm not really into Little Feet and they bored the yeah. shit out of me. But that's a whole nother story. So Melissa Etheridge <laughs> was the opening act. It's very rare that you go see a show where the opening act blows your mind. And right. She's out there with that acoustic guitar doing her thing. I mean, she had a band with her, but I actually mm-hmm. have a Melissa Etheridge DVD where it's just, mm-hmm. it's literally just her and an acoustic guitar playing her hits. It's magnificent. She's just incredibly talented. You watch She's a great her, songwriter. Yeah, an incredible songwriter. Again, influenced by not, not only Janis Joplin, but Bruce Springsteen. So, you know, she cut her teeth on, on really good songwriting and performing. That's why she could probably get up there on a stage with just an acoustic guitar and command an audience, you know? Yeah, I've never seen her live, but I remember on that, a concert for the 9-11 victims mm-hmm. or something like that she came out and there was something wrong with the audio and while she's playing she's singing and mm-hmm. you couldn't hear that much the audio was going in and out in and out understandably there was a little frustration sure. on her part but she just kept going through it and i had a lot of respect for her yeah that's what a pro does you know they go out there yeah. and they and they leave it all on the stage so she started out when she was really young she first started playing guitar when she was 8 and then she okay. was attending Berkeley College of Music, playing in the Boston club scene at that time. Mm-hmm. She dropped out after three semesters, and then she headed to Los Angeles because she she felt like that was her best chance to make a career in music. Okay. And sure enough, you know, she ended up being discovered. She sang background vocals on Don Henley's album, The End of the Innocence, which is like one of his, you know, seminal albums. Yeah, it's a great album. Yeah, it's a killer album. And I found out, this is one of the things about doing the podcast that's fun sometimes, is that you know, when you start looking into your favorite artists, you mm-hmm. find you maybe learned something that you didn't know about them. And I learned, yeah. I knew that Melissa Etheridge had breast cancer at one time and she went through treatment okay. and all that. What I didn't yeah. know was that she was a medical marijuana patient in 2004 when she was diagnosed. Okay. And because it affected her in such a profoundly good way, she actually is in the process of starting her own medical cannabis business in California. So she's ah. taking like this medicine that was good for her and she's trying to help make it available for people, which is very cool. All right. Number one, I'm looking at this as a uh, kind of a writing a wrong. Um, I remember sometime early 90s, I was watching MTV or something and they were doing this, you know, lifetime queen of rock and roll award. Okay. And the nominees included Aretha Franklin, Madonna, Chrissy Hind, and I think maybe Annie Lennox. Okay. Madonna won. Ugh. 
how can that be? And the crowd actually booed. Fuck yeah. Right. (laughs) So I'm writing a wrong here, and I'm saying my number one woman that rocks is Chrissy Hine. Interesting. Um, I know people are saying, but Eric, what about Aretha Franklin? What about Tina Turner? They are awesome. Yes, but when I picture rock, I don't picture them. I see Chrissy Hine in concert where she's, you know, all sweaty. She's up there playing the guitar. She's singing her heart out. She's got an awesome voice. And her mascara is running on her face. And she looks like a demented Gene Simmons. See, <laughs> there, I did it for you. Nice. With this, you know, and she looks like this crazy raccoon with, and I'm like, that's rock, man. Yeah. You know, you talk about putting it out there. And she also, she lived a life. You know, she's born in America, but she went over to uh, England in the early 70s. She was trying to get into the punk scene. She had done some studying, like graphic art studying in America, but she wanted to get into the music. She actually almost married Sid Vicious. Oof. Because apparently the story goes that she needed a work permit to stay in England. Okay. And she was budding around with, you know, the punkers in London and stuff. And so she said, hey, Sid, would you marry me so I can get a work visa or work permit or whatever? (laughs) Story goes, they went down to wherever you go to get your marriage license and the place was closed. And the next day they were going to be open, but Sid had to go to court. (laughs) So they ended up not getting married she dodged Um, a bullet there huh (laughs) yeah well at some point she did marry uh the king's lead singer ray Uh, davies okay among some others she might have been married to uh, jim kerr from simple minds too at one point yes she was yep yep the lead singer there so then she moved to france and she was trying to get her own bands going and so she was really living it trying to make it happen finally 1978 she sent her demo some producer in america's like yeah 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 all right you know you get a band together and uh She got the pretenders. She just also is just so very relevant. A lot of other singers and musicians refer to her. She's done all kinds of projects with all kinds of people. And her lyrics, I mean, the first that pretenders album definitely still has a little bit of, you know, some punkiness to it. You know, songs like Precious. There's just this attitude there. I also think she's just got an awesome look. She's just rock. I think she's the number one lady of rock. One of my honorable mentions, going back to the two pioneers that you mentioned in the same breath, Mm -hmm. Aretha Franklin and Tina Turner. They're not in my top five either, but again, honorable mentions and certainly deserve a tremendous amount of recognition for all of their contributions. I think the reason they're not on the list, either of our lists probably is because we maybe think of them more as R&B artists. Right. But there's no question that the music that Aretha and Tina did certainly inspired rock and roll. And Tina Turner, you know, the live performances, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're, they're the thing of legend. Yeah. No and doubt. what she got through in her life oh, you know, yeah. with her husband. And yeah, with yeah. yeah, exactly. Chrissy Hine, my number one. I'm dying to hear who your number one is. Number one for me has always been my favorite female vocalist. And I think unmistakably rocks her ass off. Oh, I bet I know. Pat Benatar. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. Born in Brooklyn, grew up in Babylon on Long Island, and she decided to pursue singing after seeing, of all people, Liza Minnelli in concert in 1971. (laughs) I know not very rock and roll, but I'm going to tie that into another Kiss thing because Gene Simmons, for a period of time, actually managed Liza Minnelli. 
Oh, no kidding, really? Yeah, later on in her career. But anyway, Pat Benatar uh, started out as a singing waitress. In 1975, she performed at an amateur night at the comedy club Catch a Rising Star in New York. Okay. Her performance there earned her a callback by club owner Rick Newman, who became her manager. In 1977 and 78, she spent some time recording commercial jingles for Pepsi and some other regional brands before being signed to Chrysalis Records. Okay. So it's kind of interesting to hear the backstory of how people are discovered and what they did to make ends meet and stuff. Commercial Mm -hmm. jingles have actually been done by more artists than you realize which is kind of funny her debut album In the Heat of the Night was released in August 1979 and reached number 12 in the US in early 1980 before going platinum in December Heartbreaker Mm -hmm. was Pat's first charting hit released October 26, 1979 and reached number 23 in the US Mm -hmm. Um, and then that was just like kind of the catalyst for a whole string of hits yeah Another song that she had a hit with, I never realized for whatever reason was a cover, You Better Run, uh, was a cover of the Young Rascals song. Oh, okay. It has the distinction of being the second video played on MTV, August 1st, 1981. Yep. Okay. It's actually the first song played on MTV that has a guitar player. Okay. uh, Because the Bubbles, Video Killed the Radio Star, was the first song played on MTV, and there's no guitarist in that group. So Pat's now husband, Neil Giraldo, Mm -hmm. was actually the first guitar player to be featured on MTV. All right, very good. Four-time Grammy Award winner, two multi-platinum albums, five platinum albums, three gold albums, 15 Billboard Top 40 singles, including the top 10 hits, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, Love Is A Battlefield, We Belong, and Invincible, my favorite Pat Benatar track of all time, Mm. Promises In The Dark. Yes. That's an amazing song, an amazing guitar solo. The video Mm -hmm. is awesome. She was wearing that uh, black kind of jumpsuity thing. Right. Oh, yeah. Talk about, you know, a a sexuality or sensuality being, you know, being part of it. There's just something about her voice that just hits all the right nerves with me. I can't explain it. It's like a little bit of grit in there, but also Mm -hmm. it's very, you know, classically trained. And also like the song, you know, Hell is for Children. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. You talk about a voice that can do so many different things. Yeah. You know, she's just got that, you know, that growling yell going on. Yeah, but her, then she can sing these, you know, beautiful ballads too. So, her yeah, voice-wise, she's definitely one of the best. Her musical partnership with her husband is is one of the best out there. I mean, the mm-hmm. the music they've created together and just the way they perform together and listen, in the entertainment industry to have a, a love affair that's over 40 years old, it's amazing. And they still tour together and they they do nowadays they're they're doing a lot of intimate kind of stuff where it's just the two of them. Again, with an acoustic guitar. Pat Benatar, still to this day for me, is the best. Okay. All right. Who do you have for honorable mentions? My honorable mentions list is ridiculous. Yeah, so is mine. Um, I had Patti Smith, actually, as perhaps one of my top five, mainly because of her 1975 album, Horses, which a lot of punk aficionados will say that was like the actual first punk album, maybe more an attitude as opposed to uh, music. She was very much a visual artist and a performance artist. She gets into political commentary and feminism. She co-wrote Because the Night with Bruce. She also like took some Velvet Underground and Who and twists it around and really totally makes it her own, which is something that we've talked about a really good talent can do. I just find her as this incredible all-around artist uh, worth mentioning. Some of the more typical ones, of course, Grace Slick, Stevie Nicks, Debbie Harry, Christine McVie, I think Christy McVie gets overlooked mm-hmm. and she shouldn't because she's got a wonderful voice and, you know, she plays keyboard and stuff. I really like Kate Bush. I don't know if you can say she rocks, but she's a- man, she's her own thing. I love Kate Bush. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and uh, Linda Ronstadt and mm-hmm. Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt, I Can't Make You Love Me mm-hmm. is heartbreaking yeah. when you hear her yeah. sing it. And very few people, a lot of people have covered that, but very few people have covered that and have outsang that song. Because mm-hmm. Bonnie Raitt, man, she just nails it. How about you? Who'd I miss? People that you mentioned that I also had on honorable mentions, uh, Lizzie Hale, Courtney Love, Janis Joplin, Stevie Nicks, Debbie Harry, right. Tina Turner, Sheryl Crow. And then I'm going to add Orianthe, who is a tremendously mm. talented guitar player. She was uh, recruited by Michael Jackson to play on his comeback tour right before he died. Mm. Then she has had some solo stuff. Tremendous talent. Another great guitar player, Nita Strauss, who plays with Alice Cooper and she's plays in an Iron Maiden tribute band and some oh, other stuff. Is she in that band, The Iron Maidens? The Iron Maidens, yes. Okay. Very All talented right. guitar player. Yeah, she's um, awesome. And then some other things that may or may not uh, cause some controversy. <laughs> Pink. Pink is primarily okay. a pop artist, but there are times yeah. that she does rock. And trust me when I tell you this, her voice is suitable to kick ass on any rock song. So that's why I put her on the list as an honorable mention. I love Pink. I think she's super talented. Yeah, Pink is great. We've got several of of her albums. I really like she does a song with her father. It's this beautiful Mm -hmm. uh, kind of country tune. So yeah, I'd go with Pink. Okay. Kelly Clarkson, I'm going to mention too. Um, (laughs) Kelly Clarkson? Again, primarily a pop artist, but again has had some hits that that did rock uh, to some degree, even though they're pop hits. Like, you know, Since You've Been Gone and Behind These right. Hazel Eyes were two big hits for her that definitely mm-hmm. have, you know, some great guitar stuff in them and, and big drums and stuff. Uh, I sent you a link to a song mm-hmm. from her second album. The song's called Hear Me, and yes. it has a very Evanescence vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. Super talent. And I'm glad to see that her career has, uh, has had longevity, too, because, you know, winning American Idol back in, I guess, 2002, I think it was. Doesn't, doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah, I mean, the fact that she's still out there and she's still super successful is a testament to how talented she is. I also had Alanis Morissette. Sure. You mentioned Patti Smith, and that actually made me think of Patti Smythe. She, you know, of course, was the singer for Scandal and had a couple of hits She was the Scandal. warrior. The warrior, exactly. But she also <laughs> um, did some solo stuff. She did a solo album. One of the big hits on the album was uh, Sometimes Love Just Ain't Enough with Don Henley. Mm-hmm. Great voice. Yeah. One little fact about Patti Smythe that I re- remembered when I thought of her was that she actually almost replaced David Lee Roth and Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen actually oh, wanted her right. wanted her to sing for Van Halen after things didn't work out with Dave. So That would have been great. That would have been interesting. I wish sure. they did that because she definitely could have done it. It would have been a whole different dynamic to the band, but it would have been interesting for sure. The other women, Cher. What? Cher is somebody, again, that, you know, I guess is probably more known for pop stuff. Cher's attitude is all rock and roll. I mean, she does not take she shit does from have, anybody. That's true. She does have that attitude. She is the real deal. Wendy O. Williams from The Plasmatics. Okay. She was pretty groundbreaking in her day. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, I, I just wanted to also mention three pretty popular female groups. The Bangles, the Go-Go's, and Vixen all had, you know, a decent amount of hits. I saw Vixen with um, my now brother-in-law, Dave, okay. down in Clemson mm-hmm. when we were in college. They were playing at Tillman Hall. They came out and they played for a good hour and a half. Mm-hmm. They were so good, and it was real enjoyable. I know later on, you know, they had a couple hits. The sad thing about Vixen is that, you know, they're probably, to most people, just like an 80s footnote. Because, you know, when they came out, they had the gigantic hair up to the moon, and it was all about sex appeal and stuff. 
And, you know, they were very commercial in terms of hard rock. I saw a clip on uh, YouTube from like a spring break thing that MTV did, and they they kicked ass. They were awesome. All of them. Everybody in that band. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to, you know, mention them. So that's it for me. Yeah. I'm good. As always, thank you for joining us for Ranking Things. The Ranking Things podcast is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, internet and corporate video, e-learning, phone message, and more. Remember, we want to know what you think. If we left out some of your favorite women who rock, let us know. You can email us, rankingpodcast at yahoo.com. You can tweet us at Jason Davis Voice. I'm Jason Davis. I'm Eric Wrights. Thanks so much for listening to the Ranking Things podcast.